Let's take a nice deep breath in. And release with a sigh. Thank you, ladies. So, we began our journey with the comment that we have been domesticated. That we came into life as babies. Oh, by the way, speaking of babies, (laughs) we have a new baby. Uh, Byron's daughter, Joy, had her baby Saturday, Larkin. Was it Saturday? Friday. Friday. Had her baby Friday. Seven plus pounds, born at 144. And his name is Joshua Thunder Jackson. (laughs) So we will be seeing a baby before too long, I'm pretty sure. We got a chance to congratulate Byron. He was here in the early service. Speaking of babies. Oh, Gloria, tease. Gloria. (laughs) Yes. So this is grandma, by the way. (laughs) And you were there. Oh, yes. How cool is that? It was wonderful. Yeah. Yes. We have another baby back there. Oh, look at that. These guys all know that babies in the sanctuary are like the the best blessing ever to me. So, better than chocolate, yes. Way better than chocolate. So, we started this journey talking about being impeccable with your word. And Roger did a great job of challenging us to have words that have meaning for us. To really know what those words are. Last week... We talked about not taking things personally, and in the process of doing that, I gave you four words. Those words were victim, victor, vessel, and verity. And we talked about what those words mean and how they give us the chance from those perspectives to look at how we're responding to any situation that happens to us. Are we responding as victims? Are we trying to be right and responding as victors? Are we vessels of God, saviors of the world? <laughs> or are we standing in verity? Are we standing in our center and, and working to bring forth our most divine self in the circumstance that we're in? Those are challenging things that we all face. And depending on what we do, we are able to either react to a circumstance or respond to the circumstance. Makes a difference for us, how we're able to move forward. So this week, we're going to take one more step on this journey, and we're going to look at the third agreement, which is don't make assumptions. Let's watch this. So there's some interesting things in this video, and one of them for me is that if we go back to our original biblical understanding about the Garden of Eden and the Tree of Knowledge... That's an interesting thing to consider in this, isn't it? That, you know, why are we limited from the tree of knowledge? Because the tree of knowledge is about to change who we are. When we're born, we come in with very little information. We come in very open, don't we? We come in with our, yeah, there's no question what a baby wants. Maybe, maybe what exactly it is, but that a baby wants something is not a question. It's available there. It shows on their face. It shows in the way they, they 
move their body. It shows in everything. So as we get older, we, get, we begin to be domesticated. That's what Don Miguel Ruiz says. We begin to be domesticated by the knowledge of how we do things. And we function from how we've been taught, how we as a society agree to get along and work with one another. So we gain knowledge, and it all goes up here. And we store it in massive file cabinets, don't we? And when we need something, we go digging for what it is. And we pull out a file, and we decide, since we found a file in our mind, that we already know what's going on in whatever the circumstance is, and we no longer need to converse about it because it's all right here. It's all figured out. So last week, I gave you four words because I, I shared with you that we have to have tools to do this work. It's not just as easy as taking on the agreement and believing we can just move through. We have to have tools. So this week, I want to give you a couple tools that's, uh, as well. Stevie, may I have tool number one? Before you assume, try this crazy thing called asking. (laughs) An assumption happens in your head. It is your way of having a dialogue. It is a conversation that is going on only with you. So last week we talked about not taking things personally and, and how that relates to somebody else. Somebody else has something going on for them. They're responding from their inner dialogue, aren't they? Which means they're in the process of making assumptions. So if we're not taking things personally, we're not stepping into their assumptive field. We're staying in our own field. Or we're playing the opposite role. And we are making assumptions about what is true for someone else. And when we make assumptions for someone else... We don't have to have any dialogue with them at all to find all the solutions to everything that ever happened in life. Because we think we already know. And the interesting thing is, when we're having a conversation in our own head, who do we believe? Because if I believe me, and I'm having the conversation, and you're on the other side, and my belief is in me, who's right? What does that make you? (laughs) And therein lies the problem, right? The problem is when we're not asking questions, we're functioning with half of the story. We don't really know what's true. And this is important because it plays out in our most intimate relationships with the people that we care the most about. And we say things like, Well, you should know me better than that. You should know. How long have we been together? 17 years, in Mark and I's case. Don't you know that by now? Or, of course I know what you're thinking. I've lived with you all these years. (laughs) Which kind of removes the possibility that we might change. Right? Or that the circumstances might be different this time. Or that perhaps we misinterpreted something for all these years. The tool for this is ask. So in your head, if you're having a conversation with yourself, this is your first clue that you are in an assumptive role. 
And we do this, don't we? We like to, how many of you would classify yourselves in the overanalyzing category? Right? So we think, 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 because we're looking for a solution. So when we are children and we grow up, and this is true not for everyone, but for more people than it is untrue. When we were growing up, and you have to ask yourself if this is true for you, when you were growing up, was it safe to be wrong? For most of us, the answer is no. And if you are one of those rare people who can say, yes, I could completely make a mistake and it'd be no big deal, then please call your parents and tell them thank you. (laughs) Please call them because you were a very blessed child. Most of us learned at home that if we made a mistake, and this is why we say don't cry over spilled milk, because when the milk goes, the parent says, what did you just do? I'm not allowed to make a mistake. It's not safe. It upsets people if I make a mistake, right? We learn that very young. Then we go to grade school, and we have additional experiences. I was telling the 9 o'clock service in my fifth grade class. I moved from Colorado Springs to, to the Air Force Base in Great Falls, Montana. And I, when I moved, we had not done long division here, and they were doing long division there. And I didn't understand it. And so my wonderful, illustrious fifth grade teacher would bring me in and have me come up to the front of the room and stand at the board and give me a problem while everybody else did their work. And I got to stand in front of the class and let him correct me in the process of teaching everybody else who already knew how to do this. There are things that people do with the intention of being helpful that are not helpful that leave us with a sense of shame or inadequacy or whatever it is that reinforces for us that idea that having the wrong answer is going to put us in danger. So I tell you this because before you're able to ask someone else, there's a really important question for you to ask yourself. And the question is, what am I afraid will happen If I ask, what am I afraid will happen if I just ask? I think you feel this way. Is that true? Well, that can be a wonderful question unless you don't want to hear the answer. Yes, that's how I feel. Ah, Now it's real. It's not just me. Right? What stops you? from asking if what you believe is correct for the other person is generally fear. And it's important to know what you're afraid of. Sometimes you can even preface your statement with, I'm afraid to talk about this because I think this could happen. Sometimes we can preface that and it takes us right to the root of what's going on. But all of this requires us opening our mouth and communicating actually asking what's happening for the other party. So as we move through life, trying to ask the right questions, one of the very valuable processes we can go through is to allow ourselves the possibility that we might have been wrong in our assumption. That whatever is playing in our head might not be true. 
And if it's not true, we have to know that we're safe, don't we? So you have to look around yourself and say, what's the, what's the worst that can happen if I'm wrong? What's the worst that can happen? Is it, have you ever had to admit to somebody you're wrong? I was really wrong about that. I'm so sorry. What happens then? <coughs> Nothing usually. A hug maybe, okay, cool. Right? When you make a mistake, most of the time, and I'll ask you to stand on the other side of this, have any of you ever been in a situation where all you really needed from somebody was to say, oh, I was wrong about that. And once they said it, I was wrong about that. I see your point. What happened then? Whatever was going on stopped. Okay, cool. Now we can decide how to move forward. When we make being wrong, wrong, having a differing opinion, having a different experience okay in the relationships that are very close to us, we allow ourselves to deepen our conversation. And when we deepen our conversation, we get to know each other better. And we can function more safely with one another. And our world doesn't feel very safe right now. So creating a safe world is an important thing. Assuming is the other side of taking things personal. You're standing on one side of this or the other side, aren't you? These two things are two sides of the same coin. One of the tools that you have in moving through it is asking, Stevie, may I have tool number two, please? Tool number two is silence. There's an, an old axiom that says if you can't, if what you're saying doesn't bring beauty into the world, be silent. If what you're saying isn't making things better, don't say anything. Be quiet for a while. So when we're in the process of assuming the noise is in our head, it's not, it's not around us. It's coming from us. It's our interior knowledge talking to us. And in that place, we can't hear the voice of the holy. In that place, we can't feel our heart. We are in dialogue with monkey mind. So to reach silence is a really important thing. And it's a big part of what we do here and a big part of why we practice silence every single time we come together. Because if we do this each week when we come here and we decide to do it again, we have a pathway right to what it feels like to be silent, don't we? All the cells in our body already know what it feels like to be still and silent, to allow everything to settle. Just be still. There's a story about Thich Nhat Hanh that, that he had a child in his life, a niece, I believe, and all of her little friends were over at the house, and they all wanted water. So he poured water for everybody, and when he did it, remember where he's from, the water is not always crystal clear. So he poured all the water for them, set it on the counter, and after a while, the children came in, and he gave water to everyone, and he was short a glass. And so he said to his niece, I'll have a glass for you in a minute. And he went to the sink and poured the water. And when he did, all of the muckiness and cloudiness of the water in that part of the world was in there. And she said, uncle, I'm not drinking that. 
And he said, oh, just wait. And he set it down, and the kids went off to play. And after a little while, his niece came back in and said she was thirsty again. And he said, oh, here's the water I poured for you and handed it to her. And it was beautifully clear because everything in it had settled. And she said, what happened? And he explained to her that sometimes you have to let things settle down so that they're clear. And she said, hmm, that's just like you, uncle. Very true in our lives. We have to sometimes let things settle down so that we get clarity. We have to find the silence. And when our mind is chattering, it's an opportunity for us to notice that we need stillness. Go for a walk in the woods. Sit on your porch. Sit where you, you feel safe. Turn off your radio. Turn off your television. Put your phone away. Make time. You have experienced in here, and I know this is true for most of you that have been here for, for some time. When we go down into the silence, we're usually down maybe on a long day, maybe two minutes. Maybe. Maybe a minute and a half. It's not a long time. But you have experienced how quickly your body can come to a state of peace. It doesn't take a long time to find silence and start fresh. This rule is very important. This tool is very important to you. And I invite you to put it into play in your life. I have some quotes for you. Isaac Asimov said, your assumptions are your windows on the world. Scrub them off every once in a while or the light won't come in. Tahira Mafi said, and if you insist on continuing to make assumptions about my character, I'll advise you only this. Assume you will always be wrong. I copied this one and I forgot to write who it was by, and I'm so I don't know. I'm sorry who the author I don't know who the author is. A lion of truth never assumes anything without validity. Assumptions are quick exits for lazy minds that like to graze out in the fields without bother. Marty Rubin said, we forget more than we remember. We assume more than we know. Bonnie Lynn Smith said, ask if you need to, but don't assume. Sometimes our bad feelings are only assumptions and speculations doing dark dances in our heads. Graham Speechley said, and this is what I'll close with, listen with an open mind. Gather all incoming information, both verbal and nonverbal, and be careful not to ignore things you don't wish to hear. Don't make assumptions or jump to conclusions. The punchline usually comes at the end. Mm-hmm.